Welcome to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, a foster and adoptive and bio mama and a therapist in private practice. I'm here to help foster mamas feel seen, heard, and supported on their journey. From quick, actionable steps to make your foster care journey easier to interviews with foster and adoptive mamas, the Fearless Fostering Podcast delivers education and encouragement weekly. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, and I'm so excited to be talking to Jelana Goebel today. She is a foster mama, adoptive mama, bio mama. She's an author of two incredible books, one that just released. And so I'm excited to chat with you today. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So can you tell me a little bit just about your background as a foster mama first and why you decided to maybe write these books? You know... I became a foster mom at the ripe old age of 25 with exactly zero parenting experience. So, you know, this is going to be good, right? (laughs) Perfect scenario. And it has profoundly influenced my lens on the world. So I wrote no sugarcoating in 2019 because it's really kind of the, the short guidebook that I wish somebody had handed me Kathleen, like almost 20 years ago, we started fostering in 2003. And so that's kind of what I, I wish somebody had sat down and talked to me, not just kind of, um, practically, but also how the emotional landscape of your life changes when you decide to become a foster parent, a left stretch life, which just recently released is really the memoir of the story behind the story of how I kind of got to those short bullet pointed versions of, uh, or snippets, I should say in the other book. So there are five children who call me mom, three who came to me via the foster care system. Um, Professionally, I helped to found an organization here in my home state of Oregon that partners with our state's child welfare system in a variety of ways. So I feel like both personally and professionally, this has been a huge part of my life. Mm. So when you're 25 years old, what in the world made you be like, yes, Oh yes. I think foster care right now. Like what made you have that conclusion? Such a good question. And you know, growing up to my knowledge, I didn't know anyone that was impacted by foster care, anyone that was, you know, doing foster parenting. So I knew kind of the hazy concept of foster care, but it was pretty removed. My husband and I spent time at a Guatemalan orphanage where I had actually lived the previous year. And then we went back for six months together. And on weekends, we actually became house parents at that orphanage so that the caretakers could go to our apartment outside, you know, off the compound and we could go in. And so it was kind of our first exposure to like doing something with vulnerable children. And honestly, on the plane back to the United States, I just turned to my husband and rather naively asked like, well, where are the vulnerable children here? And you and I both know the answer is not a mystery. It's foster care. 100%. Absolutely. And I actually, it's so crazy that you say that because I've been being hit over the head lately with like this mother Teresa quote. That's like, you know, it doesn't, the world, of course, there's a lot going on in the world, but start where you are start with what's just around you. And I love that your heart was, you know, first it was this global exposure to children in need. And then your mind immediately shifted. Cause I think a lot of people, I know people myself personally who have come back from trips like that and like, wow, that was a really impactful experience. And they're not necessarily looking for ways to do something about the hurting people here, or they're not really bringing it back 
home, anything like that. So I just love that. That was your heart. And so you guys jumped in right when you got back, we jumped in, we took the classes. And to be honest, we took the classes, raising our hands to say, wouldn't it be great if we kind of did the same thing that we did in Guatemala, which was respite, you know, kind of like eased in as if there's such a thing really, when it comes to foster care, like easing in. (laughs) And uh, of course, with the crisis shortage that I think is a pretty nationwide, you know, across the board, we're the crisis shortage of foster families. As we were sitting in the class, they basically said, you know what? We think you guys would be perfect. And I think my husband and I felt a little like, Oh, and they said, we, we can see you guys not only fostering, but actually doing therapeutic foster care, which in the state of New York at the time was reserved for the kids whose trauma manifests in the highest of behavioral needs. So it's a perfect scenario, zero parenting experience going from like, you know, let's help out on the weekends to let's do this 24 seven and let's dive in with the kids who have uh, the hardest behavioral challenges. Wow. So you then fostered how many children over the years? Do you, do you remember? Oh goodness. Um, to be honest, Kathleen, it's not all that much. We, you know, some of, I feel like, um, obviously our long-term placements there, those have been fewer and far between. We've done a lot of short-term placements over the years, but that very first placement, um, was actually two boys, a six and a nine-year-old and, man, I learned like the first 24 hours in that there is a difference between taking notes on trauma and like seeing it underneath the roof of your home. There's just such a difference. And yeah, I mean, the first night I was awakened at 3 AM and, um, I had told the boys because I was such an experienced parent. I had told the boys something like help yourself to the snacks, you know, like not putting any, <laughs> any sort of boundaries on that or like times or anything. And they sure did. In the middle of the night, they ate like a month's worth of snacks and walked in to, you know, fruit by the foot wrappers being tossed around like confetti as they were like jumping on the beds. And I was like, I think I'm in over my head, you know? They were our very first placement, but what's crazy is that, well, the nine-year-old had to be, had to have a different placement just because, um, we felt like we physically couldn't keep the six-year-old safe just because of the way his trauma was manifesting. But the six-year-old we parented then through, then he was moved on to a pre-adoptive home that ended up falling through for a variety of reasons. He was placed into a, a group home and we visited with him several times a month until one day we showed up after having parented him for a year and shown up for 18 months, you know, regularly. And they just said, sorry, he's been transferred. And I was like, what? Like transferred where, like, where did he go? And of course with, with privacy laws and all of that. So I literally drove to a place and left a note for the agency where I thought he might be. Mm. And then I never heard anything for 13 years. And then six years ago, when he was a 19 year old young man, he has an unusual name. So that, you know, helps with trying to find someone, but I just got this like, Holy spirit, mama bear, six cents, call it what you want. Like, where is this young man kind of doing the math? He's 19. His summer birthday has been circled on my calendar all these years. Where, where is he? And so I was able to find him very, very quickly And it looked like maybe life hadn't treated him well, just based on the Facebook, you know, picture of like bloodshot eyes and holding a bottle of alcohol. And, and yet, you know, I, it's like, what do you, where do you begin when you fostered someone in first grade? 
13 years ago. So I didn't want to appear like I was like stalking him and be like, I know it's you, you know? So I was like, Hey, like I, you know, I'm not totally sure it's you, even though I'm pretty, pretty much was, I was like, not totally sure. And I was like, I don't even know if you remember us totally cool. If you don't like, you know, backtracking, backpedaling, just to try to appear casual, yeah. um, <laughs> however you do that. Right. <laughs> And I just said, you know, we have, we remember we with fondness uh, being a little boy that had way too much adult stuff on his plate to deal with. And, you know, you were always a good kid with a good heart. And we remember taking you to Disneyland and we remember ice skating and we remember, you know, all these things. And, um, I just wanted to reach out and say, you know, we we've continued to think about you. We've never forgotten you. And the next day I woke up to a Facebook message that just said in capital letters, OMG, with about 25 exclamation points, you are still dot, 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 my mom with about 25 exclamation points. I've been searching for you my whole life. You're my real family. I've never forgotten about my family. Oh my gosh. I feel like crying right now. That was his response. Oh my gosh. And I just stared at that and was like, what? Like what is happening? Because, you know, he was the only child in our house. We didn't have any biological children at that time. So he called me Miss Jelana uh, and I I didn't expect or, or even want anything differently than that. So it just felt very significant. The whole, like you are my mom in capital letters because he never called me that before. So that was six years ago. And that was kind of the beginning of this wild and woolly reconnection. It has just been so impactful for me to realize that so often, you know, in the fostering community, we talk about seeds planted because we're pouring in and pouring in and we often don't get to see. And I think sometimes, you know, yes, we, we, till the soil, we like wait for things to bloom. But a lot of times we as foster parents don't always get to to see that. So what's been so wild about reconnecting with our first foster son is that I think it just helped remind me that that cliched thing that kind of had lost its meaning over time, like the thing you say when something's hard and you just want to have a glimmer of hope, right? Like seeds planted, seeds planted. And yet it's, I really saw it to be true in some ways, like with his memories of like, mom, do you remember the Spider-Man poster in my room? And do you remember the time we ate grilled cheese and sat around the, the, you know, table as a family? Do you remember when we had people over for football and ate chip and dip? And I think what's so, was so astounding to me was like, I couldn't tell you if I had grilled cheese two days ago. And yet here's 13 years later, remembering grilled cheese around the table, like very ordinary things. And he mentioned those things before he even talked about going to San Francisco and flying to Disneyland and kind of some of the bigger things that, you know, one might think about. And so for me, that was just a really, it was, and it continues to be just a humble reminder about the presence we offer to the kids that walk through our front door and that it's the way we make them feel that's going to ultimately be the thing that they hold on to. Mm, That is so beautiful. Such a great reminder. 
Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know really quickly about some amazing free resources for foster mamas on my website, fearlessfostering.com. I have a self-care quiz that will help you decide exactly what type of self-care you need at this point on your foster care journey, as well as a virtual retreat for foster mamas and an anxiety reducing email course, all for free. Check it out right now on fearlessfostering.com. I want to talk to you about the emotional landscape that you referenced because you have been through so many, like you said, wild experiences with this, with parenting in general, but foster care, you know, and I'm just curious, what has that been like for you emotionally over the years and how have you dealt with that? That is such a good question. So we just let our foster certification lapse um, last year. So almost 20 years uh, or 18 and a half. And I have to say, I mean, I think it's very, very difficult. I mean, I think we all know the things, right? Like we all know kind of the important, the foundational, you know, pillar of sleep and drinking water and getting outside and, you know, all those and all those things. But I think oftentimes for foster parents, that's enough to keep us afloat, but not necessarily proactively get ahead. If that makes sense, you know, it's an, it's enough to sustain us, but it's not like we're doing something wild and crazy, you know, by, by needing to, you know, do, do self-care. I think it's an easy thing to say. I think it's very hard to implement. I think I've learned throughout the years that, you know, time is not just going to fall out of the sky and plop on my lap to go take a bath or read a book or arrange for a walk with a friend. So I've had to really think about like, what does fill my bucket? What's life giving to me? Um, and to try to like write myself into my own calendar. And also Kathleen, ever since becoming a foster parent, I have only ever written on my paper calendar in pencil. And that feels very symbolic to me because it feels like it represents the flexibility that I must hang on to at any given time to get out my eraser and say, I thought these were my plans today, but I have a dysregulated child. And for me, I realized crossing things off that maybe I was looking forward to, or couldn't happen because of whatever reason, it was just kind of depressing for me to see my old fashioned paper calendar and see all these things in pen. So I was like, it's just better (laughs) for me to erase. It just kind of symbolizes the flexibility needed. So I can thank foster care for that. Yes. Thank you. Foster care for our mindfulness reminder and our holding our plans loosely reminder. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, I want to talk about first, um, no sugar coating, the coffee talk you need about foster parenting. This book is such a gift. It literally feels like coffee talk when you read it. It's like, if, is, if I was coming to you and saying, okay, Juliana, I need to know what I need to, what do I need to know about foster care? Cause I'm, I'm new. I don't know what to, where to start. And so what made you decide, like, I feel like this is a book that needs to be written. Such a good question. So professionally, I, um, you know, helped to found an organization that partners with child welfare. And one of the things that we do is we offer these monthly coffee houses and pre pandemic, we were actually meeting in person quite often. And then we've had to get creative and meet virtually. And it's, I think it's, it's so important that people that are considering foster care, foster parenting, that is actually have a conversation, a real conversation with someone who is living it because you and I both know, I mean, we can take, it doesn't just have to be foster parenting. It could be any subject. And you could say, here's how I envision it's going to be. 
And here's the lived reality. And oftentimes there's a divide between those two things. And I think, you know, when it comes to making sure we have the capability to be a safe and welcoming place for a child from a, from a hard background. And also, you know, knowing what we need to know to keep our own family, ourselves and families, you know, safe and healthy as well. You know, the, these coffee houses, these virtual and in-person coffee houses were kind of offered in that spirit of like, come listen to people who are living it, who are doing it, whose families look all sorts of different ways. You know, we're, we're going to ask kind of the, the top 10 most frequently asked questions for people considering foster care. And then, you know, we're going to save the last half an hour for you to ask questions. It's been really popular. And after years and years and years of facilitating conversations, which it still doesn't get old to me because I feel like every single time it's different. You get a different group of people, you throw in different questions. And every single time I feel like I'm learning from somebody's lived experience. And then there came a point where I was like, you know what? 90 minutes. That's great. That's a great place to start for people, but I feel like I've got a few more things to say, you know, things that couldn't be covered. And so that is where no sugar coating came from. Such a valuable guide. And it reads, like I said, like you can hear your voice just being like, okay, here's the things that people are going to say to you that you won't expect as a foster parent, as a new foster parent. And they're all the things that everyone gets asked, you know, and all the things like talking about trauma, talking about, you know, just, I don't know, making sure that you're not coming in as a hero and and trying to save the day, because that's so important for us as foster parents to remember. So it's just full of wisdom and I'm so thankful for it. And I also want you to share, as you said, about a love stretch life, which just released. And as you said, more of a memoir. So share a little bit about why you felt the need then to write that memoir, that experience that you had been through with foster care. I really kind of did it to just affirm to myself, like, wow, I have really been shaped. Like I, I think sometimes we, we embark on a journey and sometimes we're aware like this, this, this thing is going to change me forever. And other times we're just not aware of that. And honestly, I entered, raised my hand to be a foster parent at 25 and I was kind of unaware. And I look back and I think about the people that I have been most profoundly influenced and impacted by in my life have all come to me via the foster care system. One is, um, our, I refer to him as the son of our son of my heart because he's not legally adopted by us, but we are his family and we claim him as ours as well. The second kind of big narrative in a love stretch life is outlining a 13 plus and counting relationship with our child's, uh, birth mom. So I first met Jennifer and I have her permission. I have everybody's permission to use their names, of course, but I first met her um, in juvenile court. She was the first, it's the first time I'd ever been at court, Kathleen. It's the first time I'd ever had the opportunity to meet a child welfare involved parent. And at that time I was fostering her six month old infant son. I handed her an eight by 10 frame photograph. She burst into tears. I unexpectedly found myself giving her a hug and just saying, I'm rooting for you. And I had no idea at the time what that would actually look like, of course, to like live out the mountains and valleys of what it looks like to root for someone amidst addiction and all the, all the odds, you know, being stacked Mm -hmm. against them to make a very long story short, we ended up adopting that child ended up fostering and returning 
not one, not once, but twice her next child. So for me, it is a very like, never say never, you know, it's given me empathy for relative providers because the first time around I raised my hand and I was like, I want to do this. I'm excited. Yeah. I said, yes. And then you know, we'd walked a long journey. Once you walk with somebody for a few years and you're kind of claiming each other as family, it is a different ball game when you are shoulder tapped by the state to say your relative just came into care. You know, there's nowhere else for him. And of course we wouldn't want him anywhere else, but it's different than raising your hand to kind of like open-handed wonder. And I want to do this. It was more of like out of dutiful love. I'm exhausted. And I'm going to say yes, Mm -hmm. um, because this is the one kid that I would could never say no to, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's been a big part of our story. She has um, been clean for six and a half years. And I just, it's, it's a huge, I mean, since she was eight years old, this is, and she's uh, in her late thirties. So what an accomplishment for her. It's been a joy to, you know, have her son reunited with her for the last five and a half, six of those years. But, you know, we are two mamas living in the same city, raising full biological brothers living in two different households. So that's a thing, right? Like how we kind of become a blended family. When I say blended family, I want to make it very clear. Like we're not co-parenting, but we, we are welcoming her and she, we, we adore her. And also we have experienced every emotion under the sun with or toward one another over the years. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, my real quick, my, my last kind of main thread of a narrative and a love stretch life is saying yes to a call from the hotline. We weren't even on the list, you know, where this is going to pick up a newborn from the hospital for 48 hours, barely even talked to my husband because you can do anything for 48 hours and much to our delight. He is now our 10 year old son. And, uh, his case was pretty straightforward. Again, with both of these boys, we really went in, not with the, I mean, open to adopting, but like really, truly just like fostering. And then when no relatives, you know, came forward, we were, we were honored to, you know, be their adoptive parents. Uh, two years after Charlie's adoption, he was diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome and he is very severely impacted. And so in a love stretch life, I write a lot about kind of rumbling with joy and grief about coming to terms with expectations for my family life that I didn't even know I had. I think it was kind of like easy breezy, like, Oh, I don't know. You know, like we're just kind of accepting, you know, we're just, but then you get to the point where you're standing, you know, in a room with a very dysregulated child and objects are flying. And I'm like, you know what? I thought I didn't have any preconceived notions about what my family is going to be like, but I never envisioned this. So actually I did. (laughs) And so for that's, you know, that's part of the exploration and a love stretch life. I would say yes to him a thousand times over. And it has profoundly changed kind of the notion of from independence, launching our kids into independence eventually into, you know, a a very heavy amount of interdependence that will be needed for a lifetime. It's also, I think, 
help me to erase any inner monologue I've had about what I believe I'm seeing when I was seeing another child struggling before parenting Charlie, you know, when you see a child melting down or swearing like a sailor or kicking and screaming, you know, it is easy to be like, wow, you know, imagine how he must be talked to, to be repeating such things in target, you know, or whatever. And that child is totally 100% my child. And I am aware that we have poured so much like goodness and love and light into him from the beginning. And so I think it's given me a real humility in my parenting journey that like what I thought I was seeing or the assumption as I was making about what maybe was or was not happening to have that, it's allowed me to re-examine my preconceived notions of kind of the myth of input and output being Mm. equal. It's kind of like a teeter totter sometimes with some kids. Sometimes we pour in and we pour in and we pour in and we can see their countenance change and we can see, you know, their self-esteem get bigger and we can see, you know, all these. And other times we pour in, pour in, pour in, pour in and boop. It's like a little Lego block, like, okay, I have to squint to see it, you know, but, but it's there. So I feel like, you know, we have to, as foster moms know that what we're seeing on the outside is not necessarily reflective of our efforts, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have poured just as much in to our youngest child as I have our other three. And he struggles in ways that the others don't, because as you know, and as most of your listeners know, like in utero, substance exposure is really a game changer and there's no overcoming that, you know, it's lifelong and irreversible. So we're doing our best to accommodate our son in a world that's not kind. And we're on a profoundly different path. And I think it's part of what foster parenting invites us to, because we give, we discern and we give our best. Yes, but we do not always know who or what we are exactly saying yes to. Yes. Thank you for saying that, because that is one of the things that I feel like people say, or people tell me that they hear a lot, which is, well, you signed up for this. I'm like, oh, I want to stop you right there because we did not, like, as you said, we did not know what we signed up for. And yes, we entered into this mission. We entered into this beautiful work, but we had no idea, you know, and we entered it willingly, but without knowing the trajectory of a child's life or their foster care journey or anything. Sure. Sure. And I think too, I, I hear people say the same thing as well. And it's like, well, just because you entered something willingly does not mean that you waive your right to any emotion from that point on. Yes, (laughs) exactly. I'm still allowed to have feels about it. Okay. Like, and that's the thing, like, that's a narrative that I think we need to, yeah, definitely kind of push back against because it's, you know, that's what I mean as a therapist, I'm like, can we just allow these feelings to be there every single one? So I really appreciate the way that you have, you know, spoken into that in this conversation and both of the books that you have um, written for us. So um, I'm going to link up everything in the show notes that people can find the books, No Sugar Coating and A Love Stretch Life by Jelana Goble. And thank you for your time. How can people connect with you online? You can find me at jelanagobel.com or on Instagram and Facebook at jelanagobel. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it.